Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 137. I'm your tired host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... Uh, Ghost of a Shattered Past, David McCarney, Family Master. And very surprised that the two of you are still talking well enough to be coherent. Oh, I'm always awake till stupid, so... It's, it's Wheels, it's the real question. <laughs> yes, because I've, I've been there. Anyway, yes... Michael Baker, Gaiji Minogatari from Japan, yes. So, uh, so uh, how long did this take, Wheels, out of curiosity? Because uh, you said something like a uh, four-kilogram baby? Uh, yes. Uh, That's as many uh, as 4,000 grams. Brand network. Eight pounds, 15.4 ounces. Oh, wow. C-section. Probably yeah, a good choice. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, an almost nine-pound baby coming out that is not something you want to. Yeah, that's a hell of a big baby, Sancho. Yep. Yes, and um, I think he's about a week early. So think about that for a second. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> that's like uh, getting into the territory of like the freaking xenomorph from Alien. It's going to tear out. Uh, but that means that there are more wheels in this world. Yes, yes. And if you're wondering, hey, wheels, you're tired because baby. No, I'm mostly tired because uh, I'm taking care of the other two. So <laughs> they are Tired because of the not babies. They are running me ragged. And considering I'm the only one that can drive at present, that's yeah, yeah. Yes, I I, I can understand the situation. Anyway, uh, living the dead dream. Yes. Uh, brain not functioning. Uh, someone want to read questions, or do we want to talk about stuff for playing things? Let's do one than the other. Yeah, I have a, I have a new Atelier game in my hands. I will probably be playing. Which one? Ryza, uh, uh, Ever Darkness, and the Secret Hideout. I really, really want this trilogy to be the Secret Hideout trilogy, but I don't believe we live in a world that good. Yeah, probably. Not. Yeah. <laughs> so, is it an improvement over the Mysterious trilogy? I haven't actually. Put it in the switch. <laughs> he said he said he's holding it in his hands. Yes. I presume that means that Wheels has not gotten around to it yet. Um, based on what I played of that trilogy, I, I'm going to say yes without actually playing this one. At all. Wow! <laughs> because it'd be hard to be worse than that. I can't believe you. Um, just I, I have played a few that were worse, but those never left Japan. Yeah. Listen, the best the, the best worst uh, Adelaide game is the one that if you put it in your PC, it gave you a virus. Yikes. Uh, yeah, that that was... Yeah, incredible. That was, that was one of the Ateliers. Um, one of the Marie variants, I think. It was, the, it was the Dreamcast one. Yeah, the Dreamcast release of Atelier Marie because they had a thing where you could put the Dreamcast disc into your computer to get like themes and Special yeah, art stuff. It's like wallpapers or something? Yeah. And somebody on the design team had their computer infected with a virus without realizing it, and the virus got embedded into the actual master copy. Ooh. It's incredible. Through <laughs> no. what, um, in one of the files available through the um, the extras section. 
Not a problem as long as you didn't actually take advantage of that. So probably didn't actually infect yeah. many people, but still. <laughs> very strange. It was also not a very nice virus, as I recall. Oh, yeah, no, real bad. Of course, uh, granted, it probably wouldn't affect anything nowadays, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, you would... So, yeah, nobody has to worry about that one anymore. Yeah, it's just it's just a very strange uh, piece of history about, like, strangest things that have found their way onto a master copy of a game. Yeah. Uh, the good so. news is I've heard some positive buzz for this new one, so we'll see. This one sold really well in Japan, apparently. Yep. So we shall hope. We shall hope, and hopefully uh, I can play it someday. Was the last one any good? The um, the sequel to uh, the old trilogy. The uh, Verona sequel. I, um, I haven't heard yet. To be honest, I haven't really looked into it yet. Okay, I have that one, but man, I want to actually fill it, finish that original trilogy before I play it. So understandable. It's going deep into. Uh, the I still stack. need to play Maburu sometime. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so um, on my side, I'm just still randomly picking old DS games and putting them in the DS and having fun with them again. Um, I'm currently uh, reliving um, Blazer Drive, and I will probably actually post the review sometime soonish. Hell yeah. Since I I kind of put it off because we were having a site change pretty soon, and then I never put it back up. (laughs) But... But hey, I actually posted that Castlevania Circle of the Moon review a week ago. Yay! And it's actually gotten quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit more um, feedback than I had expected. Hmm. Including one guy on Facebook who commented on the the Facebook page and saying, "Yeah, I I was all ready to click this and massively disagree, but (laughs) (laughs) what a good start." But apparently I'm not the only one to have a fairly low re- opinion of this game. Mm. Though in my case it's as an amateur of the series and not as a big fan. <laughs> for Circle? I yeah, never, never cared for it too much. It was a very, like, if you played it as a GBA launch game, it was like, oh, this is very, this is more impressive than I'm used to. This is neat. And then if you play it in any other context, it's like, oh, this is not great. <laughs> It still has some of the most abysmal drop rates I have ever seen. Oh, uh, it's real bad. Short of possibly Romancing Saga 2, which had a bugged drop rate. Yeah. There are Castlevania and, games with bugged drop rates that are still better than this game, than Circle of the Moon's drop rates. That game needed a shop where you could sell all the useless Ooh. equipment that you picked up over the course of the game so you could afford to buy actual healing potions. So you could actually survive the Battle Coliseum. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't rely on magic healing in there, then you're going to need something else, and that something does not drop often enough to be worth it. Mm hmm. Circle of the Moon, like, it, it doesn't help that, like, all of your interesting abilities are built around drops, and there's no way to tell what has drops. Yeah. There's a reason that I think most people end up playing with the bug that just lets you use any combination of DSS. Yes. And when all of your enjoyment of the game has to be reliant on a bug to make it playable. It's not a good sign. We got issues. Yeah, on the bright side, uh, all the later 
portable Castlevanias are better than that. <laughs> so I've heard. Uh, I need to keep my voice down a little bit. Mm. Uh, or else guess... just co-host is starting to wake up. We'll see how long that lasts. Probably, probably will be. Finished. And yes, I'm not denying that it's my fault. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. My, my wife is just like, yeah, I know, dear. I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still doing that. It's true. No, it's not true. <laughs> okay. uh, let's see. Well, uh, I've played a lot of Dragon Quest, like a lot, a lot of Dragon Quest. Um, midway what pe- through what people seem to refer to as Act 2 of the game mm. it's really long it's really 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 long uh, and I've also started playing some of the Outer Worlds which uh, just dropped on PC, Xbox, and PS4 uh, that's really good like really good I've heard absurdly good things. I think it's helped by the fact that somehow this kind of Western RPG became scarce over the past few years. Like, it's an interesting fusion of uh, something like Fallout New Vegas and something like Star Wars Nazi of the Republic. Hmm. Which game is this? Uh, the Outer World, that's Obsidian's new uh, game. Yeah, I just saw it in uh, Famitsu Magazine earlier, uh, a couple days ago. I'm like, okay, just add a look. This looks like Fallout in space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they've done some slightly interesting things. Since they don't have the Fallout canon, they've made something that's similar, but, you know, has its own spin on it. Because, like, Fallout is built on this idea of, like, the remnants of, like, a fascist dystopia, whereas uh, The Outer Worlds is in the middle of, like, the expansion of, like, a corporate fascist hellscape. So, like, so, like, every human being on most of these planets is sponsored. Like, the first person that you meet, if you don't uh, like you'll see them they've just gotten shot and if you don't heal them before they have the chance to object they will not let you heal them because they're like well I'm not supposed to use medical supplies from anyone but Spacer's Choice <laughs> and huh that, that's okay, a that's ridiculous. concept like but it's, it's interesting because like so, like, the, the immediate point of comparison people have for this is Fallout New Vegas, and that's that's fair, but it has... Uh, it, it's not an, a one big open-world case where, like, the, the Bethesda Fallouts have all been, like, here's a big... Uh, just a big environment, uh, and there's, like, you know, giant amounts of, like, scenery and caves around, and all the, that you'll kind of stumble across as you wander around it. But then, eventually, you know, like, and there will be occasional town hubs and such. This, this does not... This condenses that. You have a bunch of mini versions of that that make it more like something else Obsidian might have made, like, uh, like when they worked on, like, 
Neverwinter 2 or KOTOR 2, where, like, you'll go to... You have a galaxy map that has, like, a bunch of planets on it, and each of those will have uh, a smaller contained hub. So, like, the first place you go has its main township uh, called Edgewater, and then it has, like, some surrounding... Uh, smaller dungeons and then another small township and then once you're done there you actually you know go to a different place and it's like oh here's this place that's sort of like uh, like a junkier version of something like Taurus from KOTOR where it's like there are bad places here where you can get into fights but most of it's just a big town it's interesting uh and it, uh, also, when I looked at the party select screen, since you can have more than one follower at a time, unlike something like Fallout, uh, it was like, oh, this party select screen is literally the exact party select screen from Mass Effect and Nice Healed Republic. <laughs> so, it's it's an interesting fusion of uh, Western RPG design, uh, primarily from the late aughts, but it's also a kind of RPG that somehow kind of ceased to exist after a while, so. So it's always a good time for a comeback. Yeah, no, it's and it helps that it's easily Obsidian's most stable game. I haven't run into a bug yet somehow. Wow. That's, that's one of the first things I've he- heard from any article or Quora question or anything about this game is it actually feels like a complete game, and I haven't had a crash yet. Yeah, it's it's actually crazy. Like, I, I went into it with the expectation of it's a kind of lower-budget Obsidian game. Like, it's not low-budget, but it's lower-budget than, like, a AAA game, and, you know, they don't have a great track record with things not being broken. But no, it's a remarkably stable video game. And it's, uh, I mean, lower-budget can also mean they don't have enough money to try and force in all the extra cool stuff that they probably should have left edited out. Yeah, no, they kept their ambitions checked and made exactly... Like, it's very well thought out in terms of they made exactly what they had money and time for. Which uh, means a better overall game. Yeah. I mean, I like, even, well, Chrono, even Chrono Trigger had stuff that they had to edit out and remove. Yeah, and we would have probably been less happy with that game if it still had Singing Mountain in it. Uh, no, the Crystal Mountain music was pretty nice. but The music is good, but the dungeon would have probably had to slot in in a way that would break the pacing. So. Yeah. Let's see, what else was I going to say? Something about it. The other thing I wanted to bring up, about, I guess I'll just do a highlight reel of things I've noticed about the game, because I think they're actually pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So when you start the game, uh, your character building has a fairly uh, bog-standard mix of stats, but you start out with, like, it's, like, uh, strength, dexterity, intelligence, uh, perception, like, personality. And the thing is, like, you can, you start out with all of those as average, and you can shortchange one of them to make others higher, and you also just have a certain amount of points you can use to make them higher. You, if you shortchange one of those, you can't bring it back up. Like, you can bring the skills associated with it to higher levels, but, like, there's certain things you're just never going to be able to do. So, like, Mm. uh, I'm used to, like, in Fallout especially, like, I would sometimes cut out, like, in this case, I cut down Perception. Because, like, that's, like, eh, it's one of those ones that can can be really useful or can be useless depending on the game. 
I, I rolled the dice on it, and what I found is that my character is really bad at picking up context cues. Like, mm. someone mm -hmm. will bring something up in conversation, and the game will show that it is something you can ask about, but my character wasn't paying enough attention. He, like, wasn't perceptive enough to actually think to ask about it, so those uh, conversation options are just locked. Because oh, wow. my perception is too low. Uh, it's interesting. Uh... The game is designed, the, the stat system is designed to make it very easy to become competent at most things, but require a lot of effort to become very good at specific things. So, like, when your stat, you, the stats can, uh, your skills, I should say, which are affected by these core stats, but are not the same as them, when they're below 50, you can invest into entire blocks of them. And you get 10 per level, so, like, you can get to being very competent at something very quickly, but to get really good and pass really high-level checks, you have to invest a lot. Because after they hit 50, for the next 50 points, each of the individual uh, aspects uh, need to be invested into. So for, like, persuasion, until each of those hit 50, you can invest in persuasion. But once you get past 50... Uh, once you hit 50, if you want to be good at charm, you have to invest in charm, not charm, intimidate, and lie all at once. So it pays to specialize. Yeah, it pays to specialize, but it's also designed to make it easier to, like, if you just need to be okay at something, it's very easy to become okay at it. Hmm. But yeah, I think, I think it's a really good system. I think it's a really good game. Uh... I probably would have, like, I will be picking up the Switch version, which they've announced, but I probably wouldn't have played it until then, except that it's apparent that it's one of the games that's on the uh, Microsoft Game Pass beta that's only like five bucks a month, so. <laughs> and I, I certainly don't regret that. Are they still calling that a beta? It's technically a beta. That's why, like, I think it's going to be a beta until they think they've got enough of a subscriber base, because. Currently, it's, like, in beta, like, five, $5 a month introductory price, or if you just go to their, like, website, it's, like, $1 for the first month. <laughs> like, they really want to shore up subscriber numbers before they stop calling it a beta. Makes sense, I guess. I heard a story about Fallout 76 where people are actually targeting others who have the subscriber mark on their ID. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Like, so, yeah, it... Fallout first happened since we last recorded. Oh my god! Yeah, so they they released Fallout first, and that's been its own like giant package of debacles because the private instances don't actually seem to be private, and also the infinite storage box apparently just eats whatever is put into it. <laughs> but uh, the the other thing is that. Uh, there is currently some sort of like miniature class war going on between people who have the because one of the perks of getting Fallout first is that you get like a banner marker that says say see I pay for it and mm -hmm. <laughs> because people are so upset about Fallout first features that they're they're finding and killing them nice like, to these bizarre these utterly bizarre like gonzo reddit posts that are just like we need to build like a safe communal space for fallout first players <laughs> and i think they're a actually it's 
amazing because they're actually living out several different Fallout quests all at once. Mm -hmm. Oh man, yeah, it's uh, it's the most uh, emergent Fallout gameplay yet released. So I mean, hats <laughs> off to you. Emergent and yet completely unintended. Yeah. And not quite as insane as World of Warcraft's uh, blood, whatever it was. The oh, the blood plague. Oh man. Yeah, the accidental plague. <laughs> that one's amazing, just because like the CDC requested data on it. <laughs> I mean, it. Yeah, I know. Um, I talked to some people in college who actually did um, like based research pa papers on the spread and the um, like char in character reactions of players. Yeah. And to this plague. Yeah. It's it's a very useful piece of data just because there's no way to ethically simulate that, so... Yep. Uh, yeah. And the fact that it was completely accidental means nobody was mentally prepared for it either. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, Outer Worlds, if you like that kind of RPG, it's, it's a real good one. Uh, they, like, I've been enjoying picking up the... Uh, companion characters, there was a really fun like, you, you find this like uh this like sort of snotty young guy like getting fired from his like space janitor job on one of the first areas and like he'll, he'll wait by your ship and ask if he can join you and one of your options is to put him through a job interview <laughs> and like one of the th my favorite things one of my favorite just like dumb jokes that happened was that uh, if you choose to do that like what he says only matters in as far as you the player care but my favorite thing that happened was that like you can start trying to ask him actual questions if you have checks in if you have skills in the skill points high enough in relevant areas so it's like one of the things was just science uh uh, tell me the value of pie, and he just doesn't get it at all and starts talking about his favorite flavors of pie. So, <laughs> not, not the brightest child, but heart's in the right place. Hello. Oh, yeah. Just, yep. Very, very good. Uh,. Very excited to play it again on the Switch version with my revised build that I'm building up in my head as I play it. So, hmm. okay. So, should we actually move to a question? Yeah, probably. We gotta hit those ones that we hit last week. <laughs> <laughs> Lost well, the recording. I'm just looking at episode one three six, and Platinum three had a question. Yeah. Uh, what's an optimal amount of equipment slots for characters? Uh, four. <laughs> I mean, kind of depends on the game. Um, oh, it absolutely depends on the game, but I feel like four is the maximum amount that you don't have to justify with other complexity. Do you count weapons in with the, this four? No, no. I'm saying weapons and like four armor slots, basically. Okay, so like head, hands, feet, chest. Yeah, something like that. Like. Once and you get an accessory more, makes five. Yeah, yeah. Once you get to more granular than that, you start having to justify it. Like that, is, and they are absolutely justifiable. But you know, like there are definitely games where I 
often find myself under-equipped because I don't think to look at, like, what my left pauldron is. So. Okay, that's a little extreme, but... I, I've about... seen games that do that, but yeah. yeah. I'm thinking of Kingdom of Loathing, where they just decided to add t-shirts in at one point, so you actually have to get a special perk or feat that makes you realize that, hey, you actually have a torso. Listen, I don't think about that place off. I'm not much going on in there. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, uh, but, you know, I mean, certainly I have definitely played games with significantly more and enjoyed them. I mean, I just... Uh, it's like Pathfinder. Oi. <laughs> oh, man. I should see what uh, how that got adapted into Pathfinder Kingmaker. I need to actually start up Kingmaker again. It's kind of difficult to play with just a touchpad. Oh, I'd believe it. Yeah. Plus, I'm plus um, the fact that it is real time in combat faster than I can really account for sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I tend to keep dying. Yeah, I don't. I feel like I'd be much happier if like a lot of the. PC RPGs that exist now weren't all kind of obsessed with pretending that we're still playing Baldur's Gate. Yeah, because that's a that those games are not easy to read. <laughs> to to put it one way. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, well, hey, I'm playing a PC-ish RPG that doesn't want to be Baldur's Gate. What? Switcher Three. Switcher. Switcher. That's the Witcher 3 on Switch. The Switcher 3. It's, uh, I I promised myself that I will not dig into that until I'm done with Dragon Quest, which could take another hundred hours. We'll see. <laughs> but, uh, there's a lot of long RPGs. There's so many. That's fine. It's all fine. Yeah. It's fine. This is fine. Like I thought that I was saving myself by not having by Outer Worlds Switch not coming out until 2020, but no, <laughs> I got sucked into it anyway. Uh, how is Switcher Three treating you? Uh, quite well. I'm enjoying it quite a lot. Um, I assume you fought a Griffin by now. Not quite yet. You can get lost in that and end up doing like like six or so hours just of wandering around that opening area. Yeah. It's a, a lot. big game. Yeah, there's a lot there. And there's a lot, like, story-wise to kind of pull you in. Like, it begins with, oh, this cool tutorial area, and then it's like, oh, shit happens, that was a dream, and, like, some sort of, like, assumingly prophetic dream. Uh, so it's quite interesting. So I'll go think about care more. Um. Yeah. Good times. And the combat's pretty good. It's action based. Um, uh, I don't know what to say. I don't want to compare it to like Dark Souls, but it's. I don't know. It's good. Uh, in term. Don't want to compare it to Dark Souls in terms of what again? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's vaguely similar, like, uh, I don't know, I don't really know how to describe it. It's much less fast-paced and a mm. bit more, like, forgiving if you're not 
action inclined. Yes, although in this case you can actually pause in the middle of combat. So big change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's still just baffling that that kind of game. Like one thing I was contemplating while I was thinking about Witcher Three and Outer Worlds is that. I've been thinking about what kinds of games made it onto handhelds, and like, the Switch is kind of, is kind of impressive for being the point where there aren't games that just don't happen on handhelds anymore. Right. Like the holdout genres I could think of were the character action game and the uh, the like big Western RPG. And like, because like you, you would get experiments like uh, Ninja Gaiden Dragon Sword and the attempts to port the Ninja Gaiden Sigma games to Vita, but you wouldn't get games that felt like this is a one-to-one port that runs fine. And like certain genres, it doesn't matter. But for something like a character action game, it matters that it runs smoothly. Right. So, like, when Bayonetta came to Switch at, like, 60 FPS, it's like, okay, there is a proper, fully featured character action game on a handheld now. And then you get to, like, uh, all these old Infinity Engine games, you get to Witcher 3, and you get to Outer Worlds, which... And Skyrim. Yeah, and Skyrim. And you're getting all these, like, big Western RPGs that, like, they don't run perfectly, but they kind of run badly on everything, so you expect it. Uh, so it's like, it, it, is, it doesn't feel detrimental to the experience that they don't run perfectly, and the fact that they just are on a handheld now, uh, it's just the full game, everything's in it, is like, it feels like that last containment has been breached. You can get just about any kind of experience on a handheld now. Which is cool. I like that. <laughs> Which is why it'll be fun to see how long the Switch lasts. So. Hmm. His problem was in terms of like what kind of a bind it put Nintendo into and explaining how there weren't successor power PC CPUs for them to move to. Mm-hmm. And, like, on the right side for the Switch, there, NVIDIA is definitely making plenty more Tegra processors that will be... the successors can upgrade to, so... Always good to have that clear path. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other thing that I was thinking of, of, like, things that you didn't fully see on handhelds. You could buy a DS port of a Call of Duty. Yes, those exist. Yes, they're very bad, but they did happen, but you wouldn't get something like Doom 2016 or Wolfenstein 2. Like, those kinds of first-person shooters didn't appear on handhelds either. Right. I was gonna make a joke about Call of Duty Black Ops Declassified, but that is already a joke. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, the other day on Facebook, I saw a posting about how it's um, given the size and the uh, various things involved. It is technically possible to knit yourself a base copy of Doom. Coded. <laughs> yeah. 
in ones and zeros. <laughs> I love, uh, I love that. So, uh, Doom, Doom's uh, level data is famously stored in a file container called a wad, mm-hmm. and uh, the wad. The name WAD was originally chosen for, like, what would you call a group of data? What does that sound like to you? Eh, it's probably a WAD of data. Yeah. And then they decided that they needed a an acronym that needed to stand for something. So they declared that WAD stood for Where's All the Data. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. We live with that forever now. <laughs> Also, uh, Platyam did ask about uh, what's a good number of accessories to allow players to equip. I usually like two, but I did want to bring up my favorite uh, stupid equipment system, which is uh, early PS2, like PS2 launch RPG Eternal Ring, which all of your equipment in that is rings, and you can equip up to ten. <laughs> Listen, yeah. one for each finger. What, you can't equip Eternal Rings? Just, just don't play Eternal Ring. Even people who like Kingsfield don't like Eternal Ring. Just to put that into perspective. Yeah. Uh, what a game. Yeah, I've. Yeah, I've seen some oddities from time to time. I remember, I think, oh, whatever Linus was called in English, Paladin's Quest. That sounds right. There is. I, I know there is a Paladin's Quest. Uh, I remember that you could like equip stuff like eight or ten different slots and you could use any of them in battle for various things and unfortunately all of your magic cost hit points oh boy yeah everyone's favorite yep yeah or yep, my favorite um various saga games where you didn't actually have or you had slots they just weren't dedicated so you could just put like five weapons on nice though they changed that later to have four weapons and four um, for defense and possibly an extra slot if you happen to have something special as part of your character class. I seem to recall that uh, reading that there was a bug in... This was a bug, but there was a bug in the Japanese version of FF6 on Super Nintendo that would just let you equip things that weren't helmets as helmets. Well, I remember in Final Fantasy IV, if you um, changed your weapon equipment mm-hmm. from the um, in battle through the item menu, you could clone items. Oh yeah! Any any time that you can sort of m- rearrange the item menu or change what's in it in battle, there's a lot of games that bugs with that. Yeah, I mainly used it to get in, um, to get large numbers of really good arrows. Yeah, so, there's those things were uh, were expendable or I there, mean consumable. Yeah, there was a. I remember there's a bug in. Uh, wild arms where if you move something that you only have one of around uh, in battle after someone attempts to use it you'll just end up with hundreds of them so Mm. I mean good on them for that well I mean or completely unrelated sort of thing but in like Final Fantasy Legend 2 robots um, would um, robots had health based on what they were equipped with oh no there's a lot um, of things that go wrong Oh yeah, and so if you switched out if you switched out a piece of armor for a better piece of armor, um, the robot's maximum hit points would go up, and his current hit points would also go up by the same percentage. Oh, but if you switch back to the previous armor, the maximum hit points would go down, but the current hit points wouldn't. 
it's it's great because you can see every step of that chain of logic, but you can also absolutely see where they missed something. <laughs> and so, um, if you had like an like um, an extra of the micron potion or something else that was technically equipable but completely useless, um, and but did not have any effective uses, so the robot's other effect didn't damage it then you could just keep swapping equipment out until your robot was back to maximum health. This mighty, completely unkillable robot. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it really helped save on medicines for an all-robot team. Oh, Unfortunately, the DS remake took out that bug. That's a shame. First thing I checked, to be honest. I'm not surprised. It's, it's, a, fun, it's a fun bug. Yeah. I mean, there's a different one where um, in that game where... I mean, it's not really a bug, it's just that... All, uh, all of the ends in the game charge you according to the amount of hit points healed, mm-hmm. and they, they also recharge your um, ability uses. So if you have a, if you have a monster or an esper with healing abilities and just use those to heal everyone up to max, go to bed at the end free, and recharge your abilities. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Oh, man. Is our saga in the U.S. onslaught starting next month? Am I going to die? Yes. (laughs) Why did you release two of these within a month of each other? That's right. And uh, Saga Scarlet Graces? Is my brain functioning Mm -hmm. correctly? Scarlet Grace, yeah. yeah. Is in December, right? Yeah, Scarlet Grace Heroes Ambition or whatever is... December and <laughs> Romancing Saga 3 is November 11th. Nice. Yay. Same week as Pokemon. Why? Why Why did they do Wait, this? Wait, isn't thing? that a Monday? Uh, maybe? Yes. <laughs> I thought it was Monday. Monday. So the 11th does too, yep. What? Square, why? Huh? Someone mislabeled this on Wikipedia, but I don't... Monday is kind of an odd day to be to have a release. Yeah. Let's see, okay, there's a Steam store page. Maybe that has the release date. November eleventh. Why? Okay. okay. Alright. Okay. You know. Why? Why? It's fine. It's fine. I mean it's not fine at all, but it's fine. Hurting me in specific, but that's fine okay and scarlet grace ambitions as it's known in the west is uh, okay scarlet grace ambitions comes out december 3rd it's gonna turn out that's also like a monday or something (laughs) December 3rd is a Tuesday. Okay, that's slightly more sensible. <laughs> what happened to Rising Saga 3 Square? It's fine. Okay. Uh, Budai asked, what comes to mind when you think of the grindiest RPG? Not usually games I actually played. Uh, <laughs> Only games I know by reputation. 
Like, I think of things like infamously unfairly difficult things like Seventh Saga. Do you got uh, anything else? Gaijin? Uh, um... <laughs> well, what comes to mind? Mo- oh, is it. Are we doing grindy RPGs question or did I miss yeah, something? Yeah, what comes to mind when you uh, think of the grindiest RPG? Uh, Pal Shinken Densetsu, but I think I've whinged about that one enough over the years. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> Other than that, probably something like um, Disgaea. Yeah, that's one where you kind of like you bite into it for the grind. So I don't even mm. think about that because, like, it's the I think of grinding as like when it's not the core appeal, but I suppose it is the grindy game. Yeah. So I mean, and I mean, you're, oh, okay. How about Unchained Blades? Whatever. Oh man. Oh man. Because <laughs> not only are those grindy, they're not very. They, they don't really give a lot of reward, especially at least in the second one, which has a cheap knockoff of the Final Fantasy X Spear Grid but that forces you to buy stuff that you are not going to use for that character in order to advance. I remember seeing some people that were really jonesing for some, like... That was a first-person RPG, right? Like a dungeon crawler? It was a first-person dungeon crawler. Yeah, I remember people really jonesing for that because they apparently weren't getting enough Etrian Odyssey at the time and trying that game and just immediately getting destroyed by how bad they thought it was. It's not not exactly that it's bad because some of the dungeon designs are pretty good. It's just that it's got about a 10-hour game's worth of story in a 90-hour game. Yeah, they just they got sick of it very quickly. It was funny to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you play Unchained Blades Wheels? I can't remember. Which one is that? That was a 3DS Furu first-person dungeon RPG. Oh, yes. Uh, first-person? Uh, I think I tried it and got bored. Yeah, that sounds about right. There were a lot of those at the time. Yeah. I, I somehow made it all the way through the, the second game. Oh, wow. wow. Man, mainly because there was one or two things about the main characters I thought seemed interesting. I wanted to see how it played out. Didn't quite play it the way I expected, but I mean, like I said, if it had been cut down to a 10 hour game with the same story, I would have been a lot happier. That's fair. But the fact that the uh, after the first dungeon, you have a choice of going to three different dungeons um, with three different main characters, and you pretty much end up playing the same um, range of character level for about 20 hours. Because as soon as you beat one, you go to the next one, and everyone's back to level three for that scenario. Yeah, that's usually not a great way to make a player feel like their time was well invested. (laughs) And um, you have, like, in-dungeon material scavenging that often requires an item that can only be made through items scavenged through material scavenging. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes you will suffer a lack of ability to scavenge <sighs> if you can't buy pickaxes in the store at the moment, and you are not finding the items necessary to make them because oh they don't happen to show up in your dungeon for the first half. That's lovely, absolutely lovely. <laughs> Yep. Uh, 
Uh, well, let's hit some of the 135 questions since the recording where we talked about them is dead. <laughs> I'm drawing back the curtain. No one will be allowed to forget that we, we recorded this once and lost it. But you didn't have me. Yeah. And some of these we really did need uh, some extra perspective. So, uh, speaking of, Shema asked, does bankruptcy for the sake of reorganization not exist in Japan? Why is, uh, I was wondering why, because the Alpha Dream website went down within 24 hours of bankruptcy being declared. First of all, uh, I'm not one to ask about um, yeah, corporate bankruptcy law. Personal bankruptcy law does exist, but it's mainly a way of reorganizing your debt payment plans. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... I'm inclined to say that, like, this is what I mentioned last week, was that you would know more, but that it was also corporate bankruptcy, so I didn't mention it anywhere it was recorded, but the thought process was, you might know more, but that it, since it was corporate bankruptcy, you might not, but you would know more yeah. about Japan bankruptcy in general. Uh, yeah. I mean, not fr- not from personal experience. Not from goes. personal experience, that would um, suck, but... But, um, I mean, for smaller studios, I mean, it really does seem like if they break, they go. Yeah, like Image Epoch did kind of the same thing where just like it, people found out that it was bankrupt because like it's like people walked by the area where its offices used to exist and they were gone. <laughs> yeah. So, um, quite possibly yes, and or quite possibly somebody was borrowing money from somebody they should not have. Also very possible. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they're just less, uh, I guess term would be like friendly than something like the US where there's a lot of ways to like do different kinds of bankruptcy that might leave some portion of the company intact yeah uh, let's see I was thinking also I think like flight plan kind of had the same fate where it's like uh, well they're gone just disappeared well, I know I mean I, actually I don't know what happened to several different companies I'm thinking of right now but they don't exist anymore yeah, I mean, oh, but, interested in that. But at the same time, I do know, like, for example, when Data East broke up, oh, um, different companies were able to buy assets from them, which is how Createch continued on and with success for uh, two games and then somehow uh, um, broke off, actually had the issue with not owning the actual name of the game the series they were making, um, and then finally got bought out again by Katakawa. Yeah, Data East was one of those ones that is more like a Western style, like, quote-unquote Western style, but, like, one that we'd be more familiar with where, like, all of their assets got auctioned off and, like, most of them got bought by, like, a freaking mobile game holdings company. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, this is back in, like, the late 90s in one case. Um, so, um, so I guess a lot of it depends on the size of the company. Yeah, like, how much like, do they have to auction off, essentially? Yeah, I mean, like, Data East wasn't necessarily a game company. It was a game studio managing company, more like Sega is nowadays. Yeah, they had, like... I, there's a really great, like, snapshot of their website on at least one uh, point, point in the Wayback Machine where they're selling some very strange things. There's, like, a snapshot of their website where they're selling air purifiers. Yeah. So... Um, but if we're talking about bankruptcy of a of an actual game development studio, yeah, that just may be bye-bye. Yeah, I'm looking at, like, I think, again, it has a lot to do with, like, when you're going through a corporate bankruptcy, there ends up being a lot of questions about, like, what you can sell to settle your debts. And, like, I don't, like, looking at someplace like Alpha Dream or Image Epoch, they own almost nothing. 
like almost everything that Alpha Dream ever did was contract work for Nintendo or Marvelous who almost assuredly own every aspect of the IP of all of the things they worked on. So, like, it runs into, like, what would they even... Like, at that point, you just want to shut down as quickly as possible to avoid racking up more debt. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Another thing that, like... Another data point for, like, larger things end up getting parceled off is what happened to index holdings. Uh, when they owned Atlas, where Atlas was like their profitable bit, and that got sold off. Or uh, another, like, this this one's more like weird corporate shell game, but when SNK went out of business, uh, the head of SNK sold off most of their IP for a song to a Korean company called Eolith, who then just sort of held on to it for a couple of years. They put out a couple of King of Fighters games, but they really didn't use it much, and then immediately sold it. Mm-hmm. Thinking we lost him. I think we lost him. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, I mean, just from basic inference, we can say that there is some sort of bankruptcy law, and it's only really worth Hello? it mentioning if it's He's a back. large group. Hello? Yeah, we Hello? we lost you there for a second. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to hit a few more data points with, like, I think I mentioned, I don't know how far into the SNK rant I got into. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I did I get anywhere into that? <laughs> uh, I think nah. just, just the start of it. Yeah, so SNK, like, they sold off most of their franchises to a company called Eolith. Yeah, we got then, that part. Yeah, they they held on to it and then sold it to the head of SNK's new company, Playmore, who also bought the name SNK. Which uh, that's another one of those like less bankrupt. Well, there was a bankruptcy involved, but also a very strange shell game. Uh, and there's reason to believe that might have been what was supposed to happen with Compile and the Puyo Puyo license. Because they were uh, they sold that license to Sega uh, in the early 2000s, right as they were dying, and they pro- like the head of Compile immediately formed a new company that probably intended to buy it back at some point, but that never really panned out. No, they sure did make a uh, game that was obviously supposed to be a Mato Mono Katari game, though. Yeah, the Curry game. Yeah, Sorcery Saga. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no obvious about it. It was explicitly a Mado Monogatari game. Yeah. I mean, that's like saying... Um, that's like saying the uh, Alliance Alive kind of looks like a saga game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the other one I was gonna, thinking of in that vein? It's like uh, there was a, a PS2 game that was supposed to be a Pocky and Rocky revival that lost the license, and it's still really obviously Pocky and Rocky. But... Yeah, uh, those those are like the big like data points I can think of for weird bankruptcies that paint an interesting picture, but probably not an altogether surprising one. Of like, the larger you are, the more your pieces are going to get cut off and sold. <laughs> uh, so here's one we can all uh, weigh in on. Uh, from Budai, 
when building a party in games like FF1, 3, or 5, or Dragon Quest 3, 7, or 9, do you trend towards warrior types or magic types, or do you seek to try out the more offbeat classes? Magic. Always. Of course you are. Whiz-biz. Uh, first run, I usually favor warrior classes. I, I, of course, don't make just any of these, but like, if the question is, my party is fairly balanced, but I still have space, what am I going to make? It's probably going to be a warrior class. Uh, my question is, do you have the option of altering your party at any point? That's also important. Which, if you do, then I'll just play whatever. Um, I, I'll, I'll pick the most random class combination as possible to see if it works. <laughs> um, this actually worked pretty well with Seventh Dragon because se several of the different classes in that game had synergistic effects. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the few good things about Seventh Dragon. <laughs> Poor Seventh Dragon. It was trying. <laughs> it was trying and it was failing. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but it's fun to just see some of the really weird stuff that can come in sometimes. I mean, I, I tried as many of the the dress spheres in Final Fantasy X-2 as I could. Oh, those are fun. I, I missed a few, unfortunately, but I got some really odd ones. I like the additional dress spheres that they added for uh, for the... Uh, the remaster version? Yeah, I got both of those. Yeah, the Psychic Scion and Festivalist. And the, uh, the Festival Girl? Yeah. They were, they, were, uh, they were localized as Psychic and Festivalist. Oh, of course they were. <laughs> Yeah, that one that one has a really good just set of uh, jobs in general. Like they really took advantage of the fact that like since you can change jobs mid battle, you can make jobs really specialized and weird. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they they were smart enough to make it or to limit the ways that you can change jobs in battle. Yeah, so you have to put some thought into what you put on each character. Yeah, and what you can actually change into from each class. Because you couldn't necessarily jump all the way across your grid at once. Yeah, you were usually going to have to deal with, like, any given job was going to need to uh, be able to swap to the jobs that it best synergized with. Because, like, those were the only ones that was going to be able to do so quickly for. Mm -hmm. It's a really good game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some respects, yeah. I, I, I think had some, that the I had some issues with that, but that, not with the job system, no. I think combat and uh, character advancement system are both very strong in that one. Oh yeah, but the, the battle was just a little. The combat was just a little too fast forwardy, as in it wouldn't. The ATBs would not stop while I was trying to select something. Oh yeah, there's no wait mode in that one. I don't think. Yeah, that's the major issue I had with it. Um, I mean, I, I mean, it's. It's bad enough when I'm searching through a menu with small font size in English, but when I'm doing it in Japanese, trying to find those stupid carrots for the chocobos, <laughs> and the thing runs away while I am in the middle of the item screen. Bang! Just shoot the thing. Um, wow. Well, Hyuna does have a gun now, so... Oh man, that reminds me of the really bad controllers you could get for that—the tiny B gun replicas. I can pick for you. Let's see. Okay, I don't want to. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So uh, we get to sit with the world's cutest co-host for a while here. Hello. That's good. Yeah, well, I've actually been carrying her for the last twenty minutes. So. Ah. 
So she she's being a fairly happy little girl today. Being very polite today. Thinking a lot about how the PS2 was the golden era of really stupid controllers. <laughs> and so I remembered the tiny bees for uh, for FF10 2, which I don't know how you would use them, but apparently these are functional. Yep. So yeah, all sorts of oddities here and there. Yeah. Under. So okay. So well, how about this? Um, hmm? So one thing that's been always been striking me whenever I would go into the game store nowadays is that the the switch aisle is probably the most densely packed thing I can see in the store. Yeah, I mean. Like to uh, almost a degree of magnitude more than the PlayStation Four for just number of titles. So, um, do you think the Switch is going to be more like the PlayStation Two and just keep going well beyond the expected lifespan of its generation? I think that's possible. It really like because part of the part of the question becomes how much do developers sort of keep it as like their baseline that they develop for. Because mm-hmm. I mean, like PlayStation Five and Xbox, whatever the heck they call the next one, both have announced holiday twenty twenty release dates, and like those could uh, create a problem for it. But if developers, especially the developers of these like niche Japanese games that are probably a lot of what's filling up those store shelves, continue to use the Switch as like, well, this is our base version, and then we port to those, then it could conceivably go on for a very long time. I mean, I'm thinking um, one of the, the articles I saw on the PlayStation 4, Sony was touting the speed or some physical stat of the console, and I'm thinking that's very Sony-ish because they're not saying a thing about what games are on it. Yeah. What could be on it. And also, they're not really mentioning how much would the experience change between PS4 and PS5 with that particular stat increase. Yeah. Because... I mean, we passed the point of incremental changes don't bring incremental results. Yeah, the bottleneck like a generation is, ago. The bottleneck is very much manpower at this stage for most things. Like, yeah. So, um, so the question is: is I mean, is there anything poss- that could possibly be worth maxing out the capacity of the PlayStation Five to make? Uh, when when you can make it for the Switch and do just as well. Certainly, like, for anyone that's anything less than the AAA tier, probably not. Uh, AAAs will probably but continue... Ch- the AAA tier, it, it's not really guaranteeing any staying power for the console. I mean, you'll probably sell a lot to begin they, with. Like, a lot of... Must play them, but. Yeah... They, they typically have short tails, like AAAs very much eat each other, even when they aren't in the same genre, which is very strange. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I feel like that's that's going to be kind of the issue, is that, like, companies like Sony engage in, like, that chase because it's a loss leader. It, like, draws eyes to the platform. That's why they fund things like Death Stranding or whatever. But, I mean, at some point, it's just, like, the numbers can't possibly sustain themselves at some point. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that's why I was thinking, like, the PlayStation 2, where that lasted, like, nine years or more. Of, like, viable actually, let's see, 2014, releases. so, like, over a dozen years of actual releases in some winter. Yeah, like, nine um, years of, like, viable releases. There were still important PS2 games coming out in 2009. <laughs> yeah. Um, and part of that was because, the, as a system, it had everything that the developers wanted, and it was easy to, or to develop for. Yeah, they basically, like, especially once you got a few years in and there was decent middleware, they basically had everything they wanted out of it, so you could just keep making things. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's that's how the Switch is going to end up for a while. I think that it has potential, especially in Japan. Especially yeah. in Japan, where, like, in, like, two years it outsold what the PS4 has done in, like, five or six, so... Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you're saying especially in Japan, which is the core of the industry. Uh, especially, yeah, of. like, I, I think that the thing you run into is that, like, uh, that you're, you're finding that the Sony uh, Interactive Entertainment is, like, more and more centered around their American operation, which is why mm-hmm. the PS4 and 5 have kind of been handled the way they have been. Like, that was kind of a thing that sort of came into sharp relief a couple weeks ago, uh, I'm not sure if you heard this news story, but when the PS5's release as a holiday 2020 uh, release schedule was launched, they announced that the same day that Sony Interactive Entertainment America essentially came in and fired a bunch of people in Sony Interactive Entertainment Europe. Mm. It was one of those things where it's like, oh, they're really trying to centralize the PlayStation operations around North America, which is why it's very much it's more becoming something that's tailored to North America, which is why it's also chasing those kinds of like very high end, very triple A development. Yeah. But like then you look at the like what what sells on PS4, like every every week you will see nine Switch games and like Monster Hunter. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the the issue that they run into with selling uh, with the PS4 is just that I don't think there's enough like variety, a multiplicity of weird like unique titles that kind of bring the Japanese consumer in. So we are Getting a little fussy here, so she's gonna. She and mommy are gonna be going out in a moment. So. Okay. Yeah. Can you check her diapers? Okay. So yeah, we're going to uh, do a diaper check gotcha. and just keep talking at me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hey, Wales. Yes. <laughs> uh, Gaijin was just uh, asking his own question, which was about. Uh, what kind of staying power the Switch has, whether it'll have the chance to uh, occupy a PS2 sort of place like uh, it seems to be currently doing in Japan, where he was mentioning seeing it as kind of like double the amount of titles packed into shelf space compared to like PS4. Do you have prognostifications? Uh, I feel like at some point they're gonna have to do like a Switch Pro or some kind of update 
to the Switch. You might call it a Switch 2. A Switch 2, yeah. Uh, but I mean... My... Okay. Uh, but I, I mean, even if they don't do that, I think it's powerful enough to last for a long time. I think it's just a matter of... Um, like, the draw, the draw to it is going to need to be original titles. Like, the ports are crazy and amazing, and I they love them. They are very neat, but... but they yeah. need to not be the draw. No, I mean, they've been pretty good at that. Yeah. Are, we, are we both picking up Luigi Mansion the second that we can manage it? <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to have to get two copies, because I think the, some of the multiplayer modes may require more than one Switch, so I guess I'm definitely buying it. Wow. It looks Double rad. Yeah, apparently Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon sold like 6 million copies, so... And no one noticed. <laughs> yeah, well, it was one of those things that just sort of came out and it sold pretty well, and then they just it just sort of kept selling. Yeah. So, I mean... Good on you, next level. Let's see. Yeah, my, my prognostication was that it, it stands a better chance of it the more in Japan, especially the more that it is that third parties are willing to develop for it as the baseline and then port upward, mm-hmm. which I think for a lot of those like sort of mid-tier, uh, lower scale in terms of cost games, uh, like you know the the sort of like B grade RPGs will tend to find more at home because they don't want to spend. AAA PS5 budget. <laughs> so I think that that will be a large portion of its bread and butter, at least in Japan. Yeah. Uh, apparently, its North American numbers are kind of crazy, too, so who knows? <laughs> yes, who knows? Is it like 12 million in North America or something? It's. I think it's higher than that, man. Okay. Probably is. Let's see if I can get the latest data on that. Uh, what is known is that it's surpassed 15 million in North okay. America. So, you know, doing so, well. So it's already it's already what beating the Wii U's worldwide numbers. It's beating the Wii U's worldwide numbers by <laughs> one and a half million in North America alone. Yikes. It's that some crazy... It's getting to, like, crazy numbers in Japan compared to what most things get to these days. Uh, as well... Um, let's see. Uh, I'm just going to take... Okay, we've got... Oh, boy, Nintendo's Japanese site. Well, tell me. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds... Oops. Oh boy, I love corporate bar graphs. <laughs> Consolidated hardware software sales transition. Yeah, oh, I can't even read this chart, this is a nightmare. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this gives me worldwide numbers, but not a point-by-point breakdown, which is a bit of a shame. Mm-hmm. It does uh, give me that uh, currently, uh, as of last reporting, it is at just under 40 million units, which is not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Given that it's less than three years old. Uh, let's see. 
Uh, okay. Uh, there's a question from Crawl. This question is inspired by the last podcast. Which RPGs do you unequivocally love, despite the fact that you have never beaten them and may never do so? Mm. Well, I, I remember really li- liking Cross Treasures for the DS, even though because of the way it handled um, multiplayer, it's um, it turned out to be impossible for me to beat the final boss because I had no support. <laughs> Oh. And um, I had no friends to help me make the better items on the other side of the equipment list. Because you had to specialize um, in either weapons, accessories, or armor once you got past the level 40 point. Mm. So I had no, like, I don't think I had any weapons past level 40 that could be made. Oh, oh. Yeah, so I couldn't, and, uh, or is that, that or, or maybe it was armor, I... Basically, I could not. I could not do enough damage to the final boss fast enough to survive. Uh, trying to think, like there's plenty of games where it's like I enjoyed this. I just, you know, set it down and I was fine. I was done with it, and that was good enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think one of the things I mentioned when last we attempted to record this was that I loved Grandia <laughs> too. I had gotten very close to finishing it, but before I. Uh, started working on long delayed very sorry uh reviews for the hd collection i had not actually finished it and i have now (laughs) well i mean i remember there's one review where i started saying yeah this review is 10 years in the making because that's how long i put down this game and before picking it back up again (laughs) uh let's see Can't can't remember what i answered when we last tried to record this yeah uh but I'd say, like, Atelier games. I've loved, like, most of the good ones I've played, but I have not finished a lot of them. But they're, yeah. they're very charming and fun. I mean, that's that's kind of the point that we were bringing up in the que- the podcast that spurred the question, was just the idea that, like, you can you can enjoy a game a lot, and it's like, eh, well, I just, I just didn't finish it for one reason or another, and that doesn't really take away from it. It's just how things happened. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a couple more questions that we might have to push off to a future uh, podcast. We should, yeah, we should save till next week. Yeah. This time there will be a podcast. We promise. <laughs> yes, I've been oh, looking at the man. recording. I actually tested the audio beforehand this time, and it looks good. So. It should be good. <laughs> this is the HD remaster of the unreleased podcast. There you go. Featuring bonus content, Gaijin actually being here. <laughs> <laughs> that would be enough to buy it again. It's like you it's like you get uh, Dragon Quest V and there's the third bride. It's like, well, I guess I have to play it now. There's more. <laughs> yep. Uh, anything we want to bring up before we set this off the road? Uh... I got the Penguin and Alliance Alive remastered. I saw you tweeting about that like five times. <laughs> Penguin and Glorious HD. I love it. Yes. I saw your tweets. <laughs> I saw you responding to his tweets. Penguin! Yes. It's, it's a good penguin. He's the best penguin. True story. He knows penguin foo. <laughs> 
That's not uh, even a joke. Uh, Flippers of Fury. <laughs> <laughs> Alliance Alive, based on a true story. <laughs> oh, man. I've been obsessed with that that phrase just since I remember I looked at the original Fatal Frame again and saw that it has based on a true story in its English logo. <laughs> what a game. But yeah, uh, I guess that about wraps it up for this week. Questions yeah. in the usual places, comments, Q&A, quest section of the Discord if needs be. Uh, DM'd to me and Wheels, sent via smoke signal if we can see it. <laughs> uh, uh, Gaijin, have you been able to uh, put out the next book in Princess of the Pizza Parlor? Oh, I mean, I got the... Uh the paperback up yes good yep it's up it's um the free book campaign did about as well as expected which is to say it largely fizzled oh um i mean 12 13 16 17 free books and about let's see seven ebooks and a couple of paperbacks from mostly probably family i think uh oh well yeah Next time. Yeah. But apparently, according to Platinum 3, um, Sir, uh, Alexa can read books to you. Oh, nice. Interesting. Welcome to your so, new free audiobook. <laughs> yes, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm asking him how it does, because especially since um, the one that he posted on this mm-hmm. has a character who is literally... Um, let, let's just say his, his attempt to become a lich did not turn out very well, and he's literally half-melted. Mm. And he talks like it. I'm concerned as to how Alexa will handle that. <laughs> I'm like, this should be fun. I, I really want to hear how this works for him. Um, <laughs> a grand Because he, he seems to have chosen the, the first episode that actually had a character speaking in a distinctly non-standard accent. Oh, in no. type. Or oh, in print. Yeah, I mean, good old eye dialect. At, at least it's not like... Um, Episode eight, which includes a um, one one of the characters introduced an NPC who speaks in the worst possible French accent. That that's her that's her actual characterization of him is the worst possible French accent she can imagine when she doesn't actually speak French. What a start! So quite quite often, other characters just kind of have to assume they understand what he's saying. <sighs> but, yeah, uh, so that's available for uh, that should be on Amazon, correct? Yep. So yeah. Uh, otherwise, I don't think me and Wheels have anything to plug. Nope. <laughs> that's all, folks. Nope. That's all, folks. We can we can talk babies next week. Yes, <laughs> babies. Uh, next week, Wheels and Wheels and Gaijin have a discussion about uh, babies versus Mario and Luigi partners in time. Uh, They're babies. Uh, that's a wrap. See you, Space Cowboys. See ya. Okay.